0: So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him by Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, "'You are my beloved Son,' With you, I am well pleased. Father, thank you for your unmistakable voice that thunders over the waters, and thank you for the unmistakable sign and gift of your Holy Spirit that was given to those Samaritans that descended on Jesus like a dove, and that dwells in us and with us in greater measure even now. We thank you, O oh God, we love you. We pray in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Welcome on this, the first Sunday after Epiphany. We are closing, are you ready for some fancy words? We are closing the octave of Epiphany. So this is the eighth day of Epiphany and we're gonna, we're still wearing white and so we celebrate the baptism of our Lord Jesus in light of the Epiphany. Now remember what Epiphany is, it's the revelation, the manifestation of God, specifically of God's self in Jesus to all nations. That not only would Israel be the people of the covenants, the commonwealth that receive the promises of God, but those same promises, those same uh, good words that issue to just the nation of Israel go out to all the earth. So that as St. Peter says, we might be partakers of God's divine nature that we might partake of those precious and very great promises. And tonight, we look at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is an epiphany moment. It's an epiphany moment because we hear the voice of the Lord, Psalm 29 said prophetically. We hear the voice of the Lord thundering over the waters. We hear the Father. We see the Son being pronounced as the Son, We see the Son being the Anointed One, the Holy and Anointed One, we sang. We see the Son identifying with the people of Israel, broken, sinful, lost. Jesus himself, we know, not a sin, not a one, goes out to the wilderness, to Jordan, where John is baptizing. This desolate place where John called the people of Israel to answer that deep, fundamental question inside of them is God really good but he didn't say it quite so nicely he said things like you brood of vipers who warned you about the judgment to come and things like that but Jesus identifies with the people of Israel and he identifies with us by receiving a baptism of repentance and we see the Holy Spirit like a dove coming down it's a very rich image that we see today that is revealed to us today in the baptism of our Lord. Now, we almost always, if there's somebody to be baptized, baptize on this first Sunday after Epiphany. And we have two, so I hope I won't talk too long. Because I know Marin and Mac are very excited to be baptized. They've been trying to jump into the, the baptistry even now. But as you hear me talk about this baptism, the baptism of our Lord, and as we anticipate Mac and Maron's baptism, I want you to think about your own baptism, the way that the waters of baptism have separated you from your past life. Maybe you were baptized as a child and it inaugurated you into a rhythm of turning away from sin and turning to our Lord Jesus Christ. That it put you into a position where you heard your Heavenly Father, or maybe you've never heard him pronounce his love and delight and pleasure over you. And whether or not you've heard it, it is an objective reality. That just as he says to Jesus, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. He says to each one of us, you're my beloved daughter, you're my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. I delight in you. Those of us who have children know that we can sometimes be frustrated at our children. And we don't always delight in them. But when we put those things aside and we see them for who they are, and we deal with our own stuff, the inevitable result is sheer, joyous, kind of crazy, laughing, very embarrassing, quit dad, talking about it, Delight. And if only we could experience that, we would know a fraction, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of how our Heavenly Father feels about us. So that spirit comes down, anoints our Lord Jesus. And I want to organize how we talk about the baptism of our Lord tonight in that vein of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a poem doesn't really have a title. It's known by its first line by Gerard Manley Hopkins as Kingfisher's Catch Fire. And it's a beautiful poem. And if you know Hopkins, his poetry is super rhythmic. And you have to slow down and you have to read it out loud. And it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's so interesting, though, that Eugene Peterson wrote a book named for a line in this poem called Christ Plays in Ten Thousand Places. And it's Peterson's book, God Rest His Soul. It's Peterson's book on spiritual theology. And in that book, he says this of the Trinity. So as I talk about the Trinity tonight, I want you to think in relational terms. I don't want you to think in abstract terms or the Feast of the Trinity, where the illustrious and learned Christopher Myers perennially preaches on the the glorious mysteries of the divine majesty of the Holy Trinity, which is always the first Sunday after Pentecost, as you well know. But Peterson says this, in the image of the Trinity, we discover that we do not know God by defining him. Take that in for a second. It's important to define. It's important to articulate who God is. But Peterson says, we don't know God by defining him, but by being loved by him and loving in return. So those are the rules of the game tonight in the baptism of the Lord. We don't know God necessarily by defining him, even though we need to know who he is. We, love him fund- we know him fundamentally by being loved by him and loving him in return. So let's start with the Father. What's happening with the Father in this baptism of the Lord? Well, he's the invisible one. We don't see him, but we hear from him, don't we? We hear His words, a blessing being pronounced over his Son, Jesus, verse 22, look in your bulletin or if' you're in your Bible, if you have one. And it says, "A voice came from heaven. "You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased." Jesus had not done any sort of public ministry up to this point in the chronology of, of the Gospels. He knew who he was. He knew that he was the son of Joseph, this adopted son of Joseph, but he knew that he was also the son of his heavenly father because he had grown in wisdom and stature and he was ready for his ministry to begin, He was ready for the inauguration of what God was going to do through him. And friends, I want you to hear this. When you think of the story of Scripture, and when I say story, that doesn't mean it's made up. I'm using story as a, as a term of, it's, it's a genre, if you will. When you think of the narrative of Scripture, when you think back here in the beginning, what God says to Israel... Because Jesus fulfills who Israel could be, God says to Jesus. So what God says to Israel, he says of Jesus. And what he says of Jesus, he says, can you fill in the blank? Is there something about a heath bar? No, what God says of Jesus, he says of us. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. But now hear the voice of the Lord, not only in the baptism of Jesus in that moment, but also in this prophecy that Isaiah writes in this section where he's talking about the servant of the Lord, the one who would suffer. He says this in Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, so God is talking through Isaiah to Jacob, to Israel, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Time doesn't allow for us just to sit with this reality. But God says to Israel, God says to Jesus, God says to each one of us, Fear not, Aaron. Fear not, Natalie and Evan and Henry and Patrick. I have redeemed you. I have formed you. You are mine. Do you know what to be redeemed means? It's kind of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Unless you're on Amazon and you have a gift card that you want to redeem at checkout. And so you type in the long word. The word "redeem" simply means that God frees or ransoms his people or he buys them. And Isaiah 43 says it, just a few verses down, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples, in exchange for your life. God is buying us. Now the irony here is that God is saying this to Israel and saying it to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who would be the ransom. Jesus is the one who would be, we'll see in just a minute, not only the redeemer of his people, but the kinsman redeemer. This, this long-lost relative, not long-lost relative, this relative who comes to the widowed bride, who has no inheritance, who has no progeny, and comes to her to redeem her. To give her life. That's why, and we'll get to this in a second, when John the Baptist says, hey, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of this guy's sandal. That's referring a lot of theologians, and especially patristic scholars believe, to ancient Hebrew marriage customs. The Redeemer, to, to have a sign of giving up their rights to provide for that widowed bride, to be the bridegroom for them, they would take off, their sandal and John said I can't even approach that he's the bridegroom I'm only a friend of the bridegroom and God says to us I give people in exchange for you I redeem you though you walk through the waters now hear this guys the waters though you pass through the waters you will not be harmed. Though you walk through the fire, it will not overcome you. You will not be burned. God is with us. The Father is proclaiming at the baptism of Jesus, for all who will follow him, for all who will come after him, for all who will be baptized in his name, I have redeemed you. Not only that, though, we see the sun. And as I mentioned earlier, the sun is the bridegroom. In a not so former life, I used to play at some, I don't know if you really call it jazz clubs, but they were like restaurants and places where there was jazz music. And so, whatever. And in one, uh, in one uh, enterprising moment, I took a wedding to play at. And I've played at tons of weddings, but this was a different wedding. This was a Jewish wedding. I'd never played at a Jewish wedding before. So I was like, okay, you know, here we go. And in, a Jewish, in this particular Jewish wedding at the Westin at the Galleria, the cocktail hour was before the wedding. I thought, oh, this will <laughs> be a great wedding. And what it did, as me and the bass player were over, you know, <laughs> being the Gentiles that we were, just playing, Everybody was filled with this, this expectation and some libations too, but they, were, they began to be filled with expectation and then all of a sudden the rabbi comes over and tells me to play the song for when the bridegroom come out and oh, I was such a schmo because I just said, uh, the what? He said, od Yeshama, od Yeshama." It's so the bridegroom and his groomsmen can come out and get the bride. And I just looked at him and, and shook my head and said, no one told me to learn Odiashama. <laughs> and then he said, well, do you have a phone? <laughs> I was like, I know where this is going. He goes, well, look it up. Learn it. Play, play. It was a moment for a lifetime. <laughs> but they were filled with Expectation about this wedding. It was beautiful. And that's the same thing we read. We see in Luke's gospel that all the people were filled with expectation. Why? There was a guy like one of the old prophets, and he was back, and he had a long beard, and he had camel's hair, his clothes, and ate locusts and honey. And he was out in the wilderness and he was preaching a baptism of repentance so that the hearts of the children would turn to the fathers and he was preparing the way of the Lord. And Luke says that all of the people were in expectation and they were questioning in their hearts whether or not John would be the one, whether he was the Christ, whether he was the bridegroom, and it just so happens that he was not. But he was cousins of the bridegroom. He was one who was holy and in expectation, who was waiting for the redemption of Israel. And he knew that the bridegroom was coming. And he knew that he was not worthy to be the redeemer. And so we see the people of Israel so much we, as, as we've read of them in the Old Testament, as this, this people who either had been pure before the Lord their God like a virgin people, or like in Hosea's uh, prophets, prophecy, where they were not pure, and they hoard themselves after other gods and other things. But we, we get a glimpse of the people of Israel presented ready, at least a remnant of them, ready to see the Christ, ready to to see the one. And so we see Jesus who comes to John, verse 21 in Luke 3. Now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus had also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And so Jesus, in this moment, where he's inaugurated, inaugurating his ministry, where he's identifying with the people of Israel and their sinfulness and their brokenness and their need for repentance, even though he had no need for repentance, he is praying. And when that happens, the heavens are rent asunder. They're opened up and we get a glimpse of who this man is. That yes, he is the bridegroom, the one who has come to bring fulfillment to this widowed people, Israel. Think about your own life and your own need for redemption. Now, all, most of you are following Jesus. Most of you have been baptized. You're falling forward, if you're like me, <laughs> falling upward, falling forward, trying to follow Jesus. But you still have that palpable sense and need for redemption the need for ultimately to be bought. Now, we've already been bought. That happened once for all, the writer to the Hebrews says, on the cross of Christ, where Jesus offered himself by the eternal spirit so that he would redeem us to God. But our bodies, our lives still long for that redemption when, when we are purchased ultimately. St. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit of being an araban a down payment, an earnest money, say, I'm going to give you this thousand bucks. I'll be back in two weeks to pay the rest. The father says, I'm going to give you the spirit of God in baptism. I'm going to give you the spirit of God as you believe the gospel. And he is a down payment. He is God's very self loving you in you, guiding you, in you, enlightening you, in you, leading you to Jesus, in you, around you. I'm going to come and redeem you. And that is who the bridegroom is. That is who the son is, the redeemer, the bridegroom to us, a widowed and broken and infertile people. He is life and he is light. And the Holy Spirit, he shows up in this episode, not as a down payment, not as a couple of cool grand, as earnest money, but he shows up as a dove. What does a dove mean to you besides September and wrapped in bacon? Sorry, I'm gripping West Texas. (laughs) We hunt a dove every September. salt of the earth? Is that that what I am? Where else have you seen a dove? In this, remember the story, this narrative that God is, is painting before us. Where have you seen a dove and water? The voice of the Lord thunders over the waters. The Spirit comes down like a dove, and we're reminded of Noah. Now, I have to ask myself as I was contemplating Noah this week, how did Noah... No, to reject some animals from the ark. Did he approach them and ask himself, Hmm, Stegosaurus, do you spark joy in me? And when he realized that Stegosaurus did not spark joy in him, he held what he could, and he thanked the dinosaur. I'm kidding. And he let it go. Marie Kondo, you can Google it later. The art of tidying up. But we see the dove. And what does the dove proclaim to Noah? It's not like Punxsutawney Phil, you know, six more weeks of winter. The dove dove is a sign, a proclamation that redemption is near. That the torrent, the destruction that God had to conduct has been finished. The dove anointing Jesus is a sign. The, the, the early church fathers said more than anything, the voice from heaven and the dove, the Holy Spirit anointing Jesus. It's not that Jesus didn't know who the Holy Spirit was or didn't have the Holy Spirit. It was a divine bona fides saying, this is the one and redemption is nigh. This is the bridegroom. Fling wide the tent stakes, O you who have never borne a child. Oh, you barren one, your Redeemer is here. Hmm. So that dove, that Holy Spirit announces to the people of Israel, announces to Jesus that the last days are coming soon. And a few short years later, on the day of Pentecost, Peter would announce, basically, the last days are here. The Spirit of God has come, has divided as tongues of fire on us. We realize that, that you men of Israel have crucified the Lord of glory. He is the one of whom the prophets foretold. And so that dove, that Holy Spirit, is this reminder that that ache that we have to be redeemed, the ache of just being sick and tired of the brokenness and the messed-upness of this life? It's good that we have that ache because the dove is in us and the dove is on us to remind us that redemption is near. It may not seem near chronologically because, lo, this many years have passed since that day of Pentecost, since this day of Jesus' baptism. But redemption is closer to us than we think within us and around us. We even think of how the Holy Spirit came upon these Samaritans as the apostles laid their hands on them. And there was a man named Simon Magus or Simon the Magician who wanted to take that power of the Holy Spirit and he offered money to Peter for this. And that's where we get the word simony. But Peter says, you can't buy this. And Simon was struck blind. It's something that has to be received. So, as we move into a time of baptism for Mac and for Maron, as we remember our own baptisms, and as we think about the Father's words, his proclamation of delight over us, his pronouncement of redemption over us, as we think about Jesus being the bridegroom who comes to us as individuals, but especially as a church, as a widowed bride, as an infertile people, as those longing for redemption. It's fitting that we wait and receive the Holy Spirit. Now remember, St. Paul said, you received the Holy Spirit when you believed. In a moment, we'll seal these, Mac and Mirren, with the Holy Spirit, that they're marked as Christ's own forever in baptism as they grow in to the gospel, as they take the promises that their parents are making on their behalf, as they take those promises for themselves, they're going to grow in the life of the Spirit. And we, too, friends, who have lived a year or two years or a decade or two or three past our baptism are still growing in our relationship with this Trinity whom we know not by defining, but by being loved by him and loving him back. And the Holy Spirit is God's gift of himself to us to remind us that his redemption is near, is in us, and is coming to us very soon. So I want us to take a minute, if you'd like to bow your head, if you'd like to close your eyes, and we're just gonna wait on the Holy Spirit of God, that dove, the reminder of redemption. Just as those Samaritans had to receive him, even though they had believed they had to receive him, so too we can wait to receive him. So come, Holy Spirit of God. We confess that we've forgotten, many of us, our first love. Many of us find ourselves naked and blind, but we come to you. We come to take living water, and so... Spirit of God, come and fill us now. Come and be a reminder of the redemption of our Lord Jesus. Now just wait for a moment and receive from the Lord. Spirit of God, we pray that you'd speak over us the words of the Father. You are mine. I have redeemed you. You're precious in my sight. Speak to those deep places that we have repressed, those places of deep fear and darkness, and wash us with the water of your word. And Father, we confess that we wait in expectation on behalf of, our, of these dear ones, Mac and Marin. That in the same way that you have filled us and anointed us, in the same way that you anointed your Son, our Savior, that you would anoint both of them in this moment of baptism, in this moment where their sinfulness is marked in a new period in their life is inaugurated, a moment of where the seeds of faith are planted in a mysterious and potent way, a moment where we welcome them into the body of your beloved bride. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.